Chapter Twelve of The Heron Nest by W. Burt Foster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve: The Threatening Cloud. The young herons were indeed dreaming of big things these days. It was not long before they shipped their first five hundred bunches of scallions to a produce dealer whom Billy had seen on one of his trips to town. They had to pay sixty cents expressage on the crate, but the scallions brought a dollar fifty per hundred bunches, and after deducting his commission, the dealer sent them his check for six dollars and seventy-five cents. In a week, they sent him twice as many, and the price remained the same. But the commissions and transportation charges bit into the profits of the business. About this time their earliest tomatoes ripened, and Billy determined to sell these at retail, and so get all there was to be made out of them. His cultivation of the tomato plants had resulted in large, smooth, and handsome fruit. A dozen of them filled one of the peach baskets in which fruit is packed by the Georgia and California fruit growers, and Pearl Mary sold the first few baskets to certain wealthy households in Medway and on the line of the trolley to town for fifty and sixty cents per basket. Throughout the entire season she disposed of none of the finest fruit for less than thirty cents per dozen. It pays to grade vegetables and fruit, but the poorest in the box regulates the price every time. The care the boys used in thinning out the onion patch told in the general result of that crop, too. No matter how good the seed may be, there will be many onions that would never grow to any size, many that will not produce a ball at all. These are true scallions and must be culled out, anyway, if the final harvest of fully grown onions is to be clean. They thin the growing plants to an inch apart in the row, and during the first six weeks marketed sixty dollars worth of bunched scallions. The price went down to a dollar ten a hundred bunches. But even then, it paid well. Pearl Mary, despite her rooted objection to onions, learned to bunch them expertly. Indeed, she and Aunt Nanny did most of that work. Billy was able to take almost entire care of the onion patch, and Jack got out the final number of posts wanted by Mr. Minden. These activities took them to the first of August. At last their income was greater than their living expenses. There was a little surplus each week. For the first time, since that gloomy evening, when bad luck had faced the herons in the little flat in town, that bugbear seemed really on the run. And while they were congratulating themselves on this fact, the unexpected happened, as it always does. During the summer, the Medway Pike, on which the Darnell Place fronted, was a frequently traveled road for automobilists and handsome family carriages. Although there were only a few so-called gentlemen's estates in the neighborhood, between Medway and the city there were many fine houses, and the Medway Road offered a smooth and well-shaded drive. Billy had taken advantage of the passing by of so many vehicles of the class above mentioned to place on the wall near the gateway a neat glass-covered box in which reposed in the shade from day to day samples of such fresh vegetables as the garden produced. In this way he sold much of his truck at fancy prices. Pearl Mary took full charge of this branch of the industry. 
no carriage or car stopped before the gateway that the girl did not see and she immediately ran out to drive a thrifty bargain with the occupants of the vehicle it must be confessed that billy sometimes watched her with a worried countenance ever since the appearance of the mysterious tramp whom his father seemed to recognize as having been associated with pearl mary in the past billy was fearful of some similar incident occurring of course mr heron may have been no more responsible for what he said to the tramp than he was for his other acts and speeches since suffering from his mental trouble but two things about the related incident disturbed billy vastly his father really seemed to have obtained a grip on himself and on his memory during those few moments that he was addressing the man with the roan moustache that was one point the other was that the tramp had been undeniably startled both by what mr heron had said to him and by his discovery of their family name never a day went by that billy did not look fearfully for the reappearance of the stranger who had so stirred his father's memory or his imagination suppose the man with the roan moustache was really the person who had given pearl mary as a baby to the herons suppose the fellow was the link between the girl and her mysterious past the thought haunted billy waking and sleeping he feared that the girl might come upon the fellow and learn the truth at a time when he billy was not by to shield her he suspected that the real wound she had suffered because of the discovery made through veronica calvert's treachery was the fact of her doubtful parentage she was not likely to stumble upon any clue to the hidden past from the people she sold tomatoes to however and many of the carriages stopped regularly through the season for supplies of the fruit it was in this way that pearl mary became acquainted with the van coes their turnout was one of the finest that drove through medway the horses shone like satin the carriage wheeled over the road on its heavy rubber tires without a jar the cushions of drab upholstery were as satisfying as the best feather bed and with the two liveried men on the seat the most exacting could have found no fault miss van coe a pale delicate girl with light hair light eyebrows and light eyes and her companion or governess were the occupants of the carriage when it first stopped the companion was a stout wonderfully corseted german woman who spoke sonorously and even commanded for the coachman to drive on with the gesture and the tone of a tragedy queen pearl mary thought that miss van coe might have been some fun had she not been so languid for she caught a smile in the young lady's faded eyes when the governess bargained for the tomatoes with the air of one conducting the negotiations for a most important transaction but all miss van coe managed to say to pearl mary even after the carriage had stopped on several afternoons was how very lovely and quiet it is here too bad that nice house burned down you know is is the owner contemplating building again do you know miss pearl mary told her that the place was on the market mr mendon had put no sign up for he had no expectation of being able to find a purchaser until real estate sales picked up and that might not be for some years but the very next day when the fine carriage stopped mr van coe himself was with his daughter he was a white-vested pompous-looking gentleman with a closely trimmed gray beard and wore eyeglasses through which his glance was as hard as the crystal itself 
He did not deign to ask Pearl Mary any questions about the place, but while his daughter selected and paid for the basket of tomatoes, Mr. Van Coe stood up in the carriage and overlooked the neatly trimmed lawn. Mr. Menden had furnished the boys with a lawnmower. The well-kept drive and paths, and the artistically laid-out grounds immediately surrounding the foundations of the burned villa and stable. The remodeled tool-house detracted not at all from the good appearance of the place. Jack had built and screened a platform at the back of the little cottage, which they used for a summer kitchen. But this was entirely out of view from the road. Aunt Nanny's finds, climbing about the windows and upon either side of the front door, added not a little to the attractiveness of that end of the grounds. A hemlock hedge cut off the view of the young orchard and berry patch, and the garden beyond. Mr. Van Coe nodded to his daughter as he seated himself, and the carriage rolled on. Pearl Mary heard him say, "'Quite as you told me, Louise, the outlook is all that could be desired, and there would be no possibility of our being crowded by neighbors here.' Pearl Mary stood stock still in the roadway, and let the eddy of dust raised by the wheels settle about her, her face actually blanched as she gazed wide-eyed after the carriage. There seemed suddenly to have been a hoop riveted about her body. Her heartbeats were really painful. The words she had overheard could suggest but one thing. The Van Coes were attracted by the place, and contemplated its purchase. What would happen to the herons in that case? The family had been so busy that the thought of losing all they had put into rack and ruin villa had seldom troubled them. Billy's cheerful optimism had led them all to work as though the present conditions would be always maintained. But what Pearl Mary overheard foreshadowed a sad shock to Billy, and to them all. Perhaps they would be obliged immediately to vacate the premises. The girl wrung her hands at the thought. Oh, oh! she cried under her breath how can i ever tell billy and jack how can i after all our toil and our great hopes and the opportunities that seem to be opening before us ah dear me can i be the messenger of such ill tidings to these who have done so much for me how can i how can i she actually wept and it was a long time before she dared appear before any other member of the family, for fear that she would be questioned. She decided to say nothing about what she had overheard and suspected. Suppose nothing comes of it, she reasoned. Suppose Mr. Menden does not sell the place, after all. Why disturb Billy's mind and make everybody anxious? I'll keep it to myself. But it preyed upon her during the next few weeks, until the whole family, as in Jack's case, noticed and commented upon it, nor did they rightly guess her trouble. Neither Jack's continued gloom nor Pearl Mary's growing silence was correctly diagnosed, even by the philosophical Billy. Meanwhile, the boys were straining every effort to get out of the ground all that the soil had to give. Away back in May, when the hotbed had been emptied of the early plants, Billy had his father spade the bed over again, and when it was well pulverized, he planted winter cabbage seed, some Brussels sprouts, parsley, and salad for later transplanting to the open. As soon as the cabbage was big enough, they set 
the thriftier plants in the garden wherever there chanced to be room for them, notably where the early peas and beans had been. The soil being so rich, two crops could easily be grown on the same patch without further fertilization. Where Billy had planted his early carrots and radishes together, they really gathered three crops in one season, for the radishes were out of the way before the carrots were of any size, and after the carrots were all pulled, they forked the bed over and set out the Brussels sprouts and cabbages. Talk about Chinese gardening, exclaimed Jack. We beat the chinks, I do believe. We're going to get a lot of stuff off of this little piece, Billy. As long as the farmer puts back into the soil as much as he takes out of each crop, there is no reason why he should not get two and three crops off of every square yard of tillable ground, said Billy. Wise market gardeners do. Better to have a well-enriched and well-cultivated acre than five acres of poor soil. Consider the farmer of Brittany. There, intensive farming has been carried on for generations, and the farmers are a tenant class, too, for the most part. A family can be kept in comfort there upon the proceeds from a quarter of an acre of land. If the Brittany agriculturist worked twenty acres after the same method that he does his quarter or half-acre, he would be a millionaire. The soil must be mighty rich over there, observed Jack or else it doesn't cost much to live in Brittany. Of course, the soil is rich, and the farmer has enriched it himself. The topsoil is his capital, and it should be so with any man who follows methods of intensive farming. Eighteen inches of the topsoil of a farm in Brittany belongs to the tenant. It is as much his as the tools he uses, or his household chattels. It is so agreed in the lease and when the farmer moves, he moves his topsoil to the new farm that he has hired. Say, that would be no easy job, remarked Jack, with some doubt in his tone. I have read, said Billy, that often a farmer who moves in that country can get his household possessions and all his family into one of the great two-wheeled wains which they use there but behind this wagon is a procession of twenty or more other wains heaped with the topsoil that he has spent years in fertilizing and enriching until it is as valuable as potting soil in a nursery but american farmers especially truck gardeners are learning a whole lot nowadays about how to concentrate their efforts it is cheaper to obtain two crops in a season from the same piece of ground by heavy fertilizing than to work a patch twice as big for the same result. In market gardening, land is not now allowed to lie fallow. There are ways of putting back into the soil, after each crop, all the humus that the crop has taken out of it. An idle patch of ground is as much of a detriment to a truck grower as an idle workman. These, and similar dissertations, which had once interested Pearl Mary as much as they did Jack, no longer seemed to hold the girl's attention. When she heard the boys planning for the future, as that future was connected with their occupancy of Rack and Ruin Villa, she usually walked away. She was afraid that they would read in her face the fear she felt that their weeks, perhaps their days, on the place were numbered. The Van Coe carriage did not come any more to the gate, but Pearl Mary watched for the reappearance of Mr. Van Coe himself, 
and feared every day that Billy would hear through Mr. Menden that the place was sold. So there was very good reason why the young girl should appear distraught and changed in her manner. Billy looked back to her discovery of the mystery of her birth as the fundamental cause of her evident anxiety. Therefore, the cripple tried to show himself more than usually confidential and brotherly toward her. And Jack saw this sympathy expressed and viewed his brother's intimacy with Pearl Mary from quite a different standpoint. They were all three at cross purposes, and yet nobody was to blame. But even Billy did not get at the nub of the girl's trouble. Oh, no, indeed. She was determined not to add to his burden and worriments by telling him of Van Cove. And one day, when she saw Mr. Menden stop his pacer at the gateway, and that he had with him in his carriage the pompous, white-waistcoated Van Cove himself, Pearl Mary was only glad that Billy and Jack were both out of sight of the carriage. She went down to the road to let down the change for the real estate man, if he should wish to drive in. As she approached, she distinctly heard Van Coe say, I suppose these squatters can be got rid of at once. Mr. Munden's reply she did not hear, and the real estate man started his horse again, and did not look in her direction. He might not have seen her at all, but the man with him had looked directly at Pearl Mary when he asked his question. The swift little horse took the carriage quickly out of sight along the road, and after that day the threatening cloud that the girl had seen rising on the horizon loomed blacker than ever. End of chapter 12